If you've been enjoying We've Never Been Clicked, we'll appreciate your subscription and five-star review on iTunes. And also be sure to check us out on SoundCloud, where you can also follow us. Thank you. Hello and welcome to We've Never Been Clicked. This is Cuppy Cup with GoodBullHunting.com. And today, like I was last week, I'm joined by Cool Hand Lucas. How are you doing tonight? Oh yeah, man. Let's kick it. All right. We are co-hosting this adventure with another SBNation.com personality, Bud Elliott. How are you doing, Bud? Doing good, guys. What's going on? And Bud, your official title at SB Nation is National Recruiting Analyst. Is that accurate? Yes, I used to have it as National Recruiting Overlord, but then they made us uh, have like more standardized email signatures. So. <laughs> I think Westcott probably filed some kind of uh, formal complaint anonymously about that. Probably so. <laughs> the underlords don't like it when the overlords claim. <laughs> exactly. That was a, a Jason Kirk intervention or something. Yeah. And we've never been clicked, bud. The format here, we pretty much do a quick hit style interview. So we're just going to jump right into the questions if that's cool with you. Yeah, works for me. As you'll learn, as we kind of move through this podcast, I'm not that well versed on football recruiting, but our audience at Good Bull Hunting certainly is interested in recruiting news. So I thought this was a really cool opportunity to have you on and maybe kind of get up to speed with what's going on with Texas A&M, SEC recruiting and state of Texas recruiting kind of in general. My first question is based on the 2016 class, which I do know a little bit about since we covered National Signing Day. Are there any players from that class that you think will get immediate playing time and have some kind of impact this season? The, the first kid that comes to mind is a guy that plays with good speed and really good leverage and power as an edge rusher. And that's the uh, Matabuke kid. But the problem I have is, isn't A&M totally low to the defensive end? Yeah, I was going to say edge oh, rushing yeah. is, is where we're all set. So that's right. kind of funny. I'm like, well, he's a stud and they already have studs in that position. So it's kind of like, eh, do, can, do I say him or not? Uh, I thought Charles Oliver was really athletic for, for being a long corner that the, the, the CB you signed. Yep. And then Aaron Hansford, I think, is a player who just kept getting better and better uh, as his high school career went on. And I, th- I still think he has a lot more room to go as far as a, a high ceiling type player and a really heady player at linebacker. So I don't know. The, the, the question for me is, I don't know enough about A&M's current roster, like, like where they're really strong and where they're weak. But just right. going over this, the, the, the kids that I remember liking at A&M's class when I saw him in person uh, were, were, were those three dudes. Well, I'm pretty excited that they're defensive players because that's <laughs> we're always excited to have a decent defense at A&M, which it's actually kind of a weird preseason for us because it seems like we're going to be pretty well positioned on defense. But there's so many question marks on offense, which obviously with two quarterbacks departing, that's that's going to happen. But one place we absolutely do need left is an outside linebacker. So that's that's really encouraging. <laughs> But Hansford is one of the players that you're really high on. Yeah, I, I like him a whole lot. And I, he, he can still get bigger, um, obviously. Not not the biggest kid coming out of high school, but I, I liked his frame. Seemed to make a lot of really smart plays when I, when I saw him at the opening and at the regionals. Good quickness, good length. Uh, at the, really good looking linebacker prospect. And I don't know how deep into the nitty gritty you get with Texas A&M recruiting, but one thing that's kind of stifled us in recent years is recruiting linebackers. Is there anything you can point to to kind of explain why A&M's having trouble landing these blue chip linebackers? You know, not really one specific thing. I I know they changed defensive coordinators and obviously they have chief there now. So, I mean, he's a really good coach. uh, And he's a linebacker guy, isn't he? I I know that they well, they 
they went nickel a lot of times at LSU, but I, I, that may have just been based on on personnel. Sure. Uh, they, they they had some guys with with a whole lot of tackles prior. I know one's playing for the Bucks now. Uh, they had the Anthony kid a couple of years ago. They they've had good success at LSU with linebackers. I, I assume they're going to have good success at A and M with linebackers because he can coach, and A and M's a you know a, a great program with great facilities, and it's an attractive place to play football. Uh, and Texas as a state produces a ton, so. They're doing a better job with it this year. Just just scrolling on their commit list, they, you know, they already got Johnson. They, they already got Marshall. Maybe things are turning around. Right? Yeah, yeah. It actually is encouraging to see two four star linebackers committed already this year. And then we we do have some young players. Richard Moore. I think he was a three star. He may have been a four star, but you know they're not these five star guys. But they're kind of showing flashes on the field. And we've just been so vulnerable at linebacker for the last decade or however long it's been that. Pretty much any glimmer of hope we're willing to latch on to. And, you know, linebacker to me is a position that I feel like is, is tough to evaluate early on because a lot of times the guys who are really great at linebacker as freshmen and sophomores relative to their peers are the guys that are kind of done growing, you know? Oh, sure. Uh, and all of a sudden we're like, man, I really liked him as a sophomore compared to all the rest of the class. But I made this argument recently that the, the Baron Browning kid out of Texas who who's just recently changed to linebacker from playing safety two years ago. There's no way there's no way I would have taken uh, him over a kid like Dylan Moses. But now I think Browning might actually represent a player with a higher ceiling because I think he's just as athletic, probably a little bit longer. And, and he has the coverage skills of a safety and he's only going to get better. Whereas Moses is probably you know a higher floor, maybe a little bit lower ceiling player right. than a guy like Browning. So a linebacker is a position you always have to keep evaluating throughout their senior year. Yeah, and we've we've had two four star recruits, and you know Josh Walker and Otero Laka, but who both had injury trouble, you know. So the depth is really what we need. So it's good to be, see that we're adding, and you know Walker's a junior and Alaka's a sophomore, thanks to the injury uh, redshirt. So hopefully over the next couple of years we can get back to some good solid four star guys with some experience. And I gotta imagine it's it's hard to create a lot of four-star type linebackers in Texas just because they're playing so much spread ball. So how often do you actually see them, you know, take taking on, on blocks kind of like you don't play a whole lot of two back in that state. So it's a, it's a limited sample of what you get to evaluate from, uh, from the linebacker spot. Whereas if you're A&M and you actually do play in the sec where you're playing the spread attack, but you're also playing some, some two back stuff, which is almost in, in the minority. Now there's some scouting that has to go on there on A&M's part to figure out who can actually fit your scheme to play in the SEC as opposed to, you know, if you're Texas, you really just got to recruit guys to play against the spread because nobody in that league is playing much two back. Right. Well, and that's what, you know, you see like the recruits that we've mentioned, you know, uh, you know, from DC and from Florida, or at least playing out of, you know, at, out of IMG right now. So we're looking around further because it's absolutely right. If you're six, three, two and Texas with speed, you're playing on the edge. You're not playing in the middle. You know, you're not playing where you would play in the SEC. Right. And so A&M's having to say, hey, can this, quote unquote, defensive end play, you know, play stand up linebacker for, for us? It's, it's that's a, that's a tough transition. It's a tough evaluation, which is why it's so important to get your kids on, on campus for camp. I guess you brought up Texas, so I'll go ahead and jump into this. But I think I'm often confused about momentum in the state of Texas. It seems like, you know, recently A&M was kind of down on the mat and. Texas was was starting to dominate again. And then we kind of reeled off a string of commitments and it looked like things were on the uptick again. So what's your outsider's take on what's happening between Charlie Strong and Kevin Sumlin? 
I actually totally agree with that. I mean, you know, I, I, I went to Dallas. I went to Houston, both IMG camps. I, I, I talked to parents of Texas kids at seven on sevens. And, you know, I wrote an article about it. And at the time, a lot of A&M fans didn't really like it because the, the gist of it was kids. Most of the elite kids in the state are, are going to wait and see with A&M and, and with Texas this year. And I, I still think that's accurate. Uh, I looked before we started this thing up. Hopefully nobody committed in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> um, you know, only seven of the 43 blue chip kids in the state are committed to the Aggies or the Longhorns. Right. That's a pretty that's a pretty low number. But it also says, hey, there's a good chance if one of these schools or both these schools has a big year, if they ex- you know exceed expectations, they could really clean up. And I agree with you. Texas kind of jumped out ahead a little bit uh, and then A&M pulled back ahead. And, and now, you know, we're wanting, is, is Laguerre and Carson going to stay in Texas class? And there were rumors about that. I know people think, hey, if if Bouchelle kind of kills it for Texas this year, Ellinger might actually look around because he doesn't want to only start for a single season. Uh, obviously, if if Bouchelle represents a guy who's going to start for four years for Texas. Uh, and so now A&M looks, looks like they're actually doing slightly better right now. Um, you know, Texas has fewer kids in the class, maybe a higher ratio of elite players relative to your two and three star types. But it's still early to, to pay too much attention to the star ratings, in, in, in my opinion. I think a lot is still going to change. You know, the one thing, and I know AM fans won't like this, just in talking to a lot of these parents, and a lot of these are, are you know, Houston area parents that, that, that I got a chance to chat with just a month ago at the IMG 7-on-7 National, National Championship, and I was talking to some of these moms, and their opinion of sort of the discipline and the, the culture at AM was was not good. Uh, and... I think that if A&M has a better year than expected on the field and they're able to convince some of these folks to come in and, and, and see the program and see that maybe, you know, maybe what Kyle Allen said isn't represented, isn't 100 percent factual or isn't totally representative of the program or maybe only parts where maybe some changes have been made. Maybe that can help A&M along the way. Sure. It's always difficult, right? When your team loses the two quarterbacks, right? The starter or the starter and the starter, I guess, to some extent, it's going to leave a stain that leaves parents and kids questioning what's going on, you know, in that locker room. But it, it seems like they're starting to rebound from that. Exactly. And and I had kids, you know, tell me, hey, if both your quarterbacks leave, you, you, you know, something's wrong there. And I was like, you're cool with me quoting on this? And she's like, yeah, cool. I was like, all right, well, here it is. Which goes to show you that nothing can go wrong with Texas signing, you know, multiple five-star quarterbacks. So, you know, just. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, what could go wrong? Uh, you know, and I agree with you, but on a lot of this, uh, on most of that, but I just think, you know, for a and fans perspective, you know, even these are one, these are some of these good problems. You know, I don't think people give someone near the credit that he should get for how well he's recruited since he's been here. I mean, going into this year, we have four since, you know, going back to 2000, if you look at the rankings, we have four of our best nine all-time commits on the field this year, and we would have five if we had Kyle Allen. And, you know, of the top 15 players that have committed to A&M since 2000, someone signed eight of them. And, you know, part of that's probably due to the SEC, part of it's probably due to the facilities, but, you know, the team that we have this year's, you know, may, while it may not be Alabama-level talented or LSU-level talented, it's probably the most talented team depth-wise that we've had since, you know, 2011 or 2002. Oh, there, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, Kevin Sumlin can recruit. Yeah, the, the proof is in the pudding, just like you said. You know, it, it are some of the issues with with player retention, player development, outside perspective, outside perception, are, are some of some of those issues creeping into recruiting and maybe 
maybe having A&M recruiting a little bit slower than, than they otherwise would be. Perhaps, but you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that, that some of these kids are waiting. And if A&M can prove it on the field a little more this year and, and have a, a bit of a rebound year, I think someone's going to have a, all the opportunity in the world to show just that he's still an elite recruiter, which I, I believe he is. Right. Yeah. I have a I have a controversial opinion that Texas and Texas A&M can both recruit at a fairly high level at the same time, which I think is what we saw last year and the year prior. Absolutely. Yeah. And especially, at, you know, I, I don't know how much we want to talk Baylor on the podcast, but one of the schools that was signing somewhere between six and ten blue chip recruits mm-hmm. per year of late is uh, not going to be doing that. A lot of kids will be waiting, just wait and see, you know, and if you get, you know, somebody like Montgomery from Tulsa or who I think would be an incredible hire or, you know, their pipe dream of Herman, you know, you could change momentum in February or January pretty quickly. So, so. They, they really believe that they can get Tom Herman. Like, like that's, that's a serious belief or, or is that just kind of, there's no way that happens, right? No, there's not. But on the internet, okay. who knows? <laughs> if you even assume that Tom Herman is going to stay in the state of Texas, then A&M and Texas would both have to kill it this year. Neither school has a coaching vacancy. And then somehow Baylor is able to pony up seven million dollars a year or something. That's really the only way it would even become a, a scenario. Right. Right. So what do you think the percentage chance that A&M, Texas and LSU all had the same coach in 2017. Ooh. I'm going to go off on the take. I say 0% because I don't think there's any way that Charlie survives unless he, unless he wins 10 games. If Herman's available, I just don't think there's any way. Uh, I think a keeps Sumlin, even if we win eight because of the buyout uh, and give him one more year. But, and I think Les miles has talking with the boosters that I knew know down there. Uh, he just got, he's, he holds all the cards right now. He totally emasculated Oliva. So, but I do think one of them will be gone, but not all of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling like 30, 35%. Okay. Not great odds, but I think there is a, a reasonable chance that, that all three stay, but not, not a phenomenal chance. So like, like a 65 or 70% chance that a better job opens up than Baylor. Right, exactly. Sure. Oh, absolutely. At least, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. At least that. One of the jobs will open up. Yo, so I think, I just think it happens to be Texas. So I think, uh, um, the guy that I would pencil in for that, that uh, better job might be Sonny Dykes. That'd be be a good fit. Yeah, that would be, that'd be a pretty good hire in my opinion. All right. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit and ask you, bud, to reflect on Texas A&M's move from the big 12 to the sec. And I want to know what you think in terms of changing the landscape of state of Texas recruiting or conference recruiting, or, or even just school recruiting for Texas A&M. What, what did that move mean, if anything? Because it's kind of hard for us to disentangle the Kevin Sumlin effect from the Johnny Manziel effect from the SEC effect. I, I think there's a lot of ramifications here. And it's like you said, it is tough to untangle all the A&M elements. It's also tough to untangle on, on the, the, the sort of the inverse here. The SEC schools coming into Texas, how much of that had to do with, with A&M joining the league and how much that had to do with Texas just totally going in the tank. Right. Right. If if the Longhorns are still winning nine, 10, 11 ball games a year, does the does AM's move to the SEC really invite those those SEC schools into Texas to recruit as much? I, I'm not so sure about that. I, I think that is sort of a little perfect storm of events there. Uh, but, you know, if AM's in, in the SEC and you're recruiting kids 
throughout the SEC and, and to, hey, come to tech, come to Texas A&M. Well, you're going to be able to tell those kids, hey, you know, you're going to be able to see your son play when we go to Starkville, when, when we go, when we go to you know Baton Rouge, when, when we go to Alabama, when we go to Auburn. Those are not that far away from a major recruiting hotbed like Houston, you know, and that that's I think that, that's a big deal right there uh, as far as taking kids, you know, from Texas, having them go to A&M, but still saying, hey, you're gonna be able to play fairly close to home. The, the geographic fit was really nice uh, for A&M, I think. But also, if you're recruiting kids from out of state in the SEC, re- you know, in sort of the southeast region, tell them, hey, you're gonna be able to play in all these other schools plus Texas. Mm-hmm. So they have that one that one game. Well, I guess if you're in the SEC West, you have that one game every other year where you can, you know, you have the short drive. Right. That's true. If you look at it, Oklahoma, even started going west, like out to California a lot more right around that time, which is also another factor we have to account for. Did Oklahoma sort of abandon Texas recruiting a bit on purpose? Did they sort of say we want to focus more on Cali where they just getting beat so bad that they went out to Cali it? I wish I lived in Texas because I would probably have followed this even more. Sure. Uh, but there's there's a lot of factors that, that 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 weigh on each other on this. And OU, since you brought it up, is is really interesting to me because it seemed like they were the big loser in our move to the SEC initially. But then I'm kind of looking at what they're doing this year, and it seems like they're putting a pretty fantastic class together. Absolutely. It seems like they are uh, reemphasizing recruiting in the state of Texas, which I don't which kind of brings the question, like, why would you ever de-emphasize recruiting in Texas <laughs> if you're Oklahoma? Like that has to be where you get most of your studs from, yep. I, I would think. Uh, California, I, I know they have their little pocket in Fresno with the coach connection and that, that's been fruitful for, you know, for them. But um, you, you have to be able to do well in Texas if you're Oklahoma. And I agree with you for a while. It did look like they were the loser in that deal. Yeah. And it's uh, I, I think they have I don't know what their classes rank currently, but I just every day I see a different force. I think even tonight, a four star recruit committed to to OU. So it seems like they figured out how to turn that back around. And maybe it's because they're, you know, making the college football playoff. OK, I have to ask you for your take on Tate Martell, just for A&M fans out there, because uh, he's so high profile. He was committed to us for a long time. So I know the A&M fans want to know how good do you think Tate Martell is? I think he's pretty good. Uh, okay. <laughs> but I don't think he's a five star. All right. I, I, I had our intern at espionation.com look this up. Uh, and in the last quarter century, can you guys guess how many quarterbacks under six foot tall have won a national title? Listed at six foot tall. Zero. It is zero. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, no quarterbacks under six foot tall have won a national title. And that's you know, listed. So I'm sure somebody was probably 5'11 or whatever. But 5'10 and a half overaged so he's probably not going to get that much bigger seven on seven is not real football and he tears it up in real football too during high school but i do think the height thing matters you know the arm is good it's, it's not and it doesn't have amazing arm strength wasn't the best quarterback on his team at the opening i thought, thought jake Fromm, the kid going to georgia was better um now certainly high profile I'll throw this out there for AM fans. And we talked about this a little bit earlier with very early recruiting rankings and the danger of this. If Martell hadn't committed to Washington as what a seventh grader or sixth grader yeah. yep. back in the day, mm-hmm. if he hadn't been on our radar for, you know, six years now, would he have ever actually been in contention for five star status? Like if this kid had just come along and maybe it just maybe it was a two year starter, sophomore, junior year. No way. Right. Right. He'd be he'd be like a mid-level four star. 
a, a good quarterback prospect guy who I think shows enough that he can overcome some of his physical limitations height wise, but yet nobody would confuse him for a five star. I, I certainly wouldn't. I, I didn't think he was before the opening and I didn't really see anything at the opening to change my mind there. I think he's a pretty good player, but I don't think he's one of the five or six best quarterbacks in the class. Yeah, I mean, I'd like A&M to sign as many five-star players as we can, but I don't know if we're ready for another high-profile quarterback. Obviously, this is kind of in yeah. hindsight, right? We obviously wanted to sign Tate Martell, but uh, it seems like we had a some kind of management issue with high-profile quarterbacks, so maybe we'll just lay low for a little while. Well, now we have Kellen Mond, so I feel I feel like we I think a lot of A&M fans feel like we got the better end of the, end of the deal now. So, and Kellen, you know, he's at IMG down here, uh, is like the most unassuming, low profile, easygoing, uh, low drama type kid. Yeah. At the quarterback position. So that could be a welcome change. Right. Uh, for the Aggies, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Being in the SEC, you, you see a lot of this, but the conference, maybe not. Well, actually, Aggies are pretty overbearing with this, too, but seem to kind of dismiss every other class. But it looks like some teams in the Big Ten, you know, Michigan, Ohio State are going to be powers for the foreseeable future. Yes, uh, there's, there's a school in Florida, too, that's been doing pretty well. Yeah, uh, their their fans are, are mad because they didn't get any commitments at the at uh, the camp they just had. Oh, <laughs> and now we're talking about the Knowles. I wanted to make sure we at least yeah. got a little bit in. I subscribe to the Bud theorem that, you know, of the four and five star different makers, difference makers in a class. I know that I think last year, Bud, you wrote an article, you know, saying like there's probably four or five teams that are capable of winning the national title based on the rankings and the number of difference makers. You know, I guess five more that, you know, had, you know, an outside shot. Um, yeah, so that's exactly. always keep my eye on that. So we, 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 we look back basically to the start of the BCS, which is what, like 15 years now. And everybody who's actually won the national title has had more four and five stars than, than two and three stars on their roster. And actually, I think A&M it is or at least was last year really close to that threshold. Now, look, Alabama's damn near 80 percent. So that's a little bit extreme of an example. And they somehow <laughs> man, managed to sign 25 guys a year. Yeah. Somehow they're going to do it again this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you are a mid-level four star, uh, you might want to look at who else is in the class there with you. Right. Um, <clears throat> just to see how quickly you're going to have to transfer out when you get beat out. But yeah, if you if you pull it up, there's I think there's 13 teams that actually meet that mark this year or 12 teams actually meet that mark this year. And then a school like Texas, Tennessee, Florida, Ole Miss, they're, they're kind of on, on the periphery. You know, if everything broke right, maybe they could. But uh, A&M's actually in there at 53 percent over the last four years, it looks like. Yeah, if we could yeah. just keep those players from transferring out, we'd be we'd be golden. Exactly. Only the quarterbacks transfer That's out. That's true. So, yeah, the, the five star receivers stay. Hey, how is uh, how is Ricky Seals Jones doing, by the way? I know I'm not you guys are supposed to ask me the questions, but I always yeah. like him. and I like chatting with his dad uh, whenever I saw him at events. No, he's doing he's done well. He's come along. He got a lot of targets last year, you know, in the slot for the for the big, quick routes on the inside, which is about the only thing that we could complete last year. No, he hasn't been able to develop to where he's breaking down the field. But, uh, he, you know, you can see that. The word out of someone is, is that, you know, the root ring has come along. You know, he played quarterback in high school and he's really, really set to take off this year. But, you know, again, it comes down to targets. You know, you've got 
you know, Speedy Noel, who didn't, who was hurt a lot of the last year, didn't get the targets. You know, you got Christian Kirk, who, you know, they always want to keep him involved. He's another five star. And then you've got the most underrated player, I think, in the SEC, and Josh Reynolds, who has more receiving touchdowns and yards returning than any other receiver and didn't even get a sniff at immediate days for one of the teams. So, wow. Just only one football. That, that's, that's a sick foursome you just named right there. Yeah. Seals Jones had a really good year last year in terms of just improving year to year. He was, his blocking was much, much better last year. And with Noel Mazzoni coming in and, you know, he likes to use the, the tight end a little bit more as a, a receiver. I think we're, we're pretty excited about what we might see this year. He's a beast at blocking. You know, he blocked so hard that he, he drew two targeting fouls last year just for blocking. <laughs> That's true. So, That's awesome. Whether they were deserved or not, we were upset about yes. both of them. I always think about big receivers as kind of like big men in basketball, right? Whereas your small receivers are more like your point guards. A lot of times they're the, the small guys have better body control early on and they're able to better run their routes. And the big, t- the big guys oftentimes take a little longer to develop unless they're just a, a, a true freak like, like a Calvin Ridley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think this year all around in terms of receiving, it's going to be pretty amazing if Trevor Knight can just get them the ball. Well, even the guys behind them, like, you know, Ian Nacho uh, was a four star. Um, You've got Ed Pope, who was a high three star out of Carthage. You've got who's a senior. And, you know, Jeremy Tabuyo is also a senior who was a high three star. So we've got a lot, we're about eight deep at receiver this year. So if only we can get a quarterback to get them the ball, we'll be, we should be incredible. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I try to keep my expectations low. I say this every week on the, on the show. I'm the 10 and two guy. Cuppy's a six and six guy. We always (laughs) in the middle. So it's just not, it's not great. (laughs) But you both kind of think Vegas is six and a half numbers a little bit lower. Right. I just, I looked at that and I was like, really like that. I, I just, I wouldn't bet it, but if I was forced to, I would take the over. If, if we were playing at UCLA and at Tennessee, I would feel like it was maybe, you know, a pretty good line. But the fact that we get both those teams at home uh, with, you know, with our deepest team, I mean, we don't have any, this is the first year where I don't see a true freshman other than, you know, maybe Mamaduke getting on the field. There's just no, there's just no place for them to get on the field. Maybe, maybe at cornerback. That's it. You know, we're too deep. We went, with upperclassmen on defense at just about every position, we went, we, we went over the receivers. Uh, there's just no place. We've got lots of experience. It's just can we, can we actually win those big games that we have to win, LSU and Alabama? And if, if you listen to Mississippi State fans, Ole Miss is going to have to forfeit all its games anyway, so that's going to be a 40 <laughs> right there. Because Hughes Freeze cheating, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just Hugh oh, Freeze. It's the only school that's Don't cheating. Text. Well, it's going to be uh, Florida State, Texas A&M in the national championship. Obviously, you heard it here first on We've Never Been Clicked. Please, uh, please delete this podcast from your hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> Don't add us. Yeah, exactly. Hey, at least y'all be used to humidity. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's right. The, the, the title games in Tampa. So, yep. what do you think about social media interaction with recruits? Uh, is there some positive to it? Is it all negative? What are some kind of guidelines we should all follow? I think that it's probably a good idea if you don't tweet at recruits right? at all. Period. Like, yeah, especially if you're an adult. Now, if you're like some high school kid or something, whatever, maybe that's different. But I, I think there's there's relatively little upside um, that I've seen. And I think the negatives generally outweigh the positives. If you're an adult who's like wasting his time tweeting at high school kids. Seriously, like, let's think about this. You're on social media using what I'm presuming is your free time 
to send tweets to a <laughs> high school kid to come play for, for your program. Like you're, you're, you have to have more <laughs> meaning in your life, right? Than, than, than that. But I don't think you understand. He really, really wants to hear my opinion <laughs> as, an, as an adult. Like, can I please tweet him? You know? No, do not tweet him. He doesn't <laughs> if, care. If there was a net positive to tweeting recruits, Kentucky would be stacked with four and five stars. <laughs> Kentucky and Tennessee, I, I feel like, are the most on their tweet game in, in, in both a good and bad way. Yeah, Arkansas is up there, too, I think. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I don't I guess I want to be totally negative. There, there's probably some some positives. I, I know kids like the positive reinforcement. Uh, they a lot of them actually like to feel the love. And, and this is where it gets kind of tricky, right? Because mm-hmm. as reasonable adults, we're kind of like, yeah, just stay away from the kid's decision. He doesn't really need that. Uh, and it, there's, there's no real good in that. But a lot of the kids actually, and this is where what I think people in the don't tweet recruits side of things, of which I'm generally on, they kind of miss. A lot of these kids really like the attention, yeah. right? Like they're like, hey, retweet this if I should go to Texas, but favorite if I should go to A&M. Right. You know, yeah, they, I'm, I'm photoshopping kids in the A&M jerseys as we speak. Right. See, exactly. It, it might pay off for you. Um, <laughs> Sick edits, man. <laughs> hey, the, the, a lot of these kids really, really do enjoy it. And, and I don't hear as many complaints about people tweeting at them as you might expect to hear. Right. Because a lot of these kids get hundreds or maybe even a thousand tweets a day at them. If they're the super famous ones. But right. Um, they, they don't complain about it publicly as, as much as you might think. And a lot of them really do like the love. So it, it's sort of confusing to me. I, I think if I was a high school kid, I would really, after a certain point, I would not like that anymore. Well, hopefully, Bud will learn something. Cause as you know, I've been aggregating interactions between fans and recruits this recruiting season. So maybe we can analyze those uh, after national signing day and see what's going on. See who had the most effective tweeting strategy. I'm really nervous that a and is going to come out looking the poorest <laughs> because Tate Martell is one of the recruits we're tracking and the interactions have been very embarrassing. <laughs> no. Uh, oh, man. Um, that sounds like ass, my dude. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, oh. I was into that for like three hours. That was funny. I don't care. That's funny. That was great. <laughs> I love that. But it still persists. And uh, yeah, people yeah. just tweet like horrible things at him. It gets to the point where you, you're not sure if it's your fan or like a rival posing as your fan because it's so horrible. And that happens. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's some it's some kind of combination, I'm sure. All right. So on the media side, bud, just to this will be our final question. We don't want to keep you all night. We do, but we're not going to. Do you have any stories about disturbing behavior you've observed from recruiting services at good bull hunting. We like to criticize recruiting services every now and then. So if you have any sto- without naming names, if you have any good stories for us, uh, please feel free to share. There's definitely some people who during dead periods will hand out offers for schools. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've heard from people and they'll say, Hey, I talked to this kid and guess who guess who gave him the offer? Uh, and I'd be like, no, who? And then they'll say coach blank. And the blank will actually be the recruiting writer right. for, for, for that network. Yeah. I've, it's like, funny that that's your story because I have seen that happen in person before and I was highly disturbed by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think it happens in, in your state uh, for sure. Yes. Um, and probably in other states as well. I think it happens with multiple services in our state. Yeah. It, and look, ultimately, is there is there a negative to that? 
not necessarily. I mean, what, what, what's the downside to a kid being informed that he has an offer? Yeah, I right? guess ultimately it's good for uh, the kid. Right. But it's just it's kind of weird for the service. Yeah, yeah side exactly. Of it. What it implies or, or sort of the implication there is what else will they do for that coach? Right. right? Yeah. To, to, to keep the flow of information coming. Are, are they and we saw another school get popped for this uh, last year, the year before, where you actually had a recruiting a writer for a recruiting service arranging a meeting with a four-star player uh, and an SEC school uh, during, I think, the dead period or whatever. And uh, ultimately, they ended up uh, getting rid of that coach. Yeah. Right? That's one thing I've started to suspect. I mean, you know, if you're those kind of connections, I mean, that puts you almost in the prime place to be the bag man. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, so. Get, get Godfrey on next week and we'll, we'll dig into this further. But thank you so much for coming on with us. Uh, we we don't know a whole lot about recruiting, so it was uh, we're very happy to be illuminated by your your vast knowledge of the the national landscape and also with with what you know about Texas A and M, which was pretty cool. Um, yeah. Since you're tuned in, plugged into recruiting all year round, we'd love to have you back on, particularly uh, you know as the season goes on, or or maybe when we get closer to National Signing Day. Yeah, y'all, and yeah. enjoy it. Let's do it again. Oh yeah, follow Bud. Bud, your handle is at uh, at SBN Recruiting. At SBN Recruiting, and if you want to talk about the Knowles, the handle is uh, at Tomahawk Nation. Yeah, that's a fun handle. The uh, it yeah, is, yeah, especially when there's when there's big news around around the Seminoles, you should follow that. But for all your recruiting news, SBN Recruiting. And if you want some laughs, look at my mentions. Uh, those are always great. Yeah, that's the part I enjoy. It's kind of like reading our own <laughs> Facebook at times. Oh my God. That's where you got your moniker. Seriously. Uh, (laughs) I think Ryan Denny made that up on the old. Do you guys remember the shutdown uh, uh, fullback fullback show? Oh yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. I missed that. I would, I would like to do a GoFundMe to, to get that back as a video. They have a good podcast, but I really missed the video. All right. (laughs) Thanks so much, bud. We'll catch up soon. All right, guys. Thanks, Thanks, bud. All right. Have a good one. Don't no bug get me high like you. Don't no bug get me high like you. Bang, bang, bang. Don't no bug get me high like you. Don't no bug get me high like you. It's nine in the evening and I'm looking for my dealer for some bud. What the hell is he?